Join yesterday's Sweaters Club. I'm your host, Mikey Moore. It's January 27th, and for the first podcast of 2022, we're joined by Josh Godwin. Josh is a mainstay of the local music scene who plays bass for one of Melbourne's most exciting new bands, Waybridge, and also was a member of the legendary pop punk outfit Set the Score. We went on a journey with Josh, covering his early days as a musician, growing up in Set the Score, and then of course moving into Waybridge, which quickly went from support act to playing Unifier and a sold-out headliner. Josh shared some great insights into tying your identity to your art, the heartbreak of things coming to an end, and how he kept pushing to that light at the end of the tunnel. Listen in. Alright, here with Josh Godwin. How you going, man? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, so Josh Godwin, uh, big member of the local music scene, um, played in Set the Score, uh, Waybridge, which were um, both big deals for me, especially uh, in the local scene. Um, <laughs> How's things been, man? It's it's a pretty hot day. How do you how do you deal with the heat? Uh, I'm good, man. Thanks for the for the rap. Big member of the the scenes. That, um, uh, never really think of yourself that way, do you? But um, yeah. Look, I'm dealing with the heat at the moment. Um, I'm at my partner's house, and um, we just open up all the windows. But um, we're moving in the next couple of weeks to a oh, house nice. with actual aircon. So hopefully, uh, we don't have to deal with it too much anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's um. I think moving in the heat would be pretty tough. So I feel for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, as I said, yeah, new place has got an aircon, so I'm very much looking forward to it. So um, yeah, don't have to deal with these uh, hot days with just like one fan between us. Sometimes we do the, like the wet towel over the fan and hope that like sprays some cold air, but you know, just like the fifties or something like that. Yeah. No, that's great, man. Um, So yeah, I've been meaning to get you in for a chat for a while because I think someone who has such a big foundation in the local music scene to, to playing in some very successful bands, um, just really wanted to, to get to know a bit more about yourself and, and your contribution to, to music in, in Melbourne especially. But um, tell me about what, who were your influences growing up? Um, oh, look, depending on how far back you go, I guess, like, I was pretty stock standard in primary school with the whole Green Day, Simple Plan, Good Charlotte thing. Um, Green Day's yep. American Idiot was the first album I ever bought by myself. So I guess kind of, I was always into the, the kind of punk rock kind of side of music. Um, nice. My old man loved stuff like ACDC, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Midnight Oil, um, Cold Chisel and stuff like that. So very early on, I was listening to a lot of Aussie rock and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and I guess I guess kind of as you get older um, and I kind of went a bit heavier, I, I, I liked a lot of Slipknot and Bullet for my Valentine. Um, and, yeah, and then, and then as you probably would know, around well, my teenage years was when, you know, we had a very, very vibrant all-ages scene. So um, I just kind of fell in love with going to local shows when I was a teenager and then, um, you know, one thing you meet a lot of people and one thing leads to another. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're very right about the, the local all ages scene. I know, um, I feel like we're really lucky cause it's not really a thing anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, it's sort of, there's a, a heart still beating there with like Wrangler and a couple other, you know, little venues that come and go, but, um, yeah, yeah I, I feel like we came up in a bit of a golden age there. Um, where there was so many opportunities for, for bands to just get out and play and meet people and network. Um, seems like it's a bit of a different game these days. Yeah, absolutely. I guess um, 
it's kind of the other way around now. I, I remember when I started playing in bands, it was kind of like play gigs and then write music and record music later. Um, now it's the exact opposite. You actually can't you can't play a show until you've got um, a pretty good recording. Now you kind of have to fake that you're really professional. I mean, not fake it, but you know you have to kind of convince people that you're really professional. And, um, and then play gigs after that. Whereas it was the other way around. Like some of my first bands were playing gigs for six months before we had anything on the internet. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a golden age. I think a lot of me and me and my friends now, like I'm in my late twenties, we kind of sit around, um, drinking beers and just reminiscing about how, I mean, there was always a show, um, and they might not have always been good. Um, but there was always a show to play. And I think that was, um, those were the days, you know, and, um, I don't know if I was, um, you know, 18, 19, starting a band now, how I'd do it. Um, mm. I think I'd probably struggle because I've still got this old mindset, but um, bands seem to do it. And um, we do have a pretty strong scene still, but I, I do miss, yeah, the all ages gigs that just used to kind of um, saturate uh, Melbourne, especially the Eastern suburbs. Mm. Absolutely, man. Um, so I, Probably my first exposure to yourself and your music was set the score, but you mentioned, have, have you had any bands before that? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, throughout high school, I played in a lot of bands that just played, um, you know, school rock concerts and stuff like that. But um, my first band that played a gig outside of school was a band called Frontline. It was a metal, very bad metalcore band. <laughs> um, it, <laughs> really bad. So, um, yeah, I guess... Our first gig was at um, Revs on a Wednesday night, um, on a school night, and we were still all in school. Um, I don't know why, how we were allowed to play because none of us were over eighteen at the time. Um, and and you know Revs like the the reputation Revs has got. But um, yep. yeah, so that was my first band that probably lasted a year. Um, I'm gonna throw him under the bus here. Notable notable um, people in that band was uh, the guitarist was Jack Bergen. Who oh was- no way. You'll hate me for saying this, but yeah, look, if you can go, if you can find some old, really poor live videos and, and um, studio recording diaries, you can have a laugh at them. But that, that was a, a, like, I look back at it now, it was, it was pretty, pretty awful, but we had a lot of fun. So um, that was my first ever band. And um, I think our gigs consisted of, we played Revs a couple of times and a couple of house shows. And that was, that was basically it. Mm. That's cool, man. And uh, was it on to set the score from there? Yeah. So um, we played, um, so Frontline was basically a bunch of guys from my school and and some other schools and um, some kids who were a little bit younger than us were playing in this band called A Fall Between. And um, their bassist was the brother of the singer of Frontline and whatnot. So um, we just played heaps of gigs with them all, you know, at the same places at the same times. And then, um, Frontline kind of, you know, managed and um, a fall between said, oh, we're going to be called Set the Score and um, we, we need a bassist. Would you like to join? And at that point in time, I was just kind of listening to heaps of uh, heaps of metalcore. So I actually, I actually didn't want to at the start. I, I, I was kind of hesitant. And then um, and then I started listening to heaps of, heaps of the Wonder Years and I thought, oh, yeah, this will, this will be pretty cool. I'll, I'll, I'll join this then. And, um, yeah, and then it just kind of, you know, once again, I think for the first year of Set the Score, we played a lot of those really bad shows and just heaps of them and had like two songs on the internet that were recorded pretty poorly. So 
that was it. That, and then from there, it just kind of kept growing. Yeah. It's interesting you say, like, because um, a lot of your bands have had members that have gone on to do massive things, like massive bands, like Jack Bergen, for those, for the listeners who don't know, is the singer of Void of Vision. Um, you played in Set the Score with Matt Van Duppen from, I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. It's, yeah, um, that's correct. That's yeah, correct. yeah. Um, Matt Van Duppen of Thornhill, Adam Pinzone of um, The Beautiful Monument and like countless other bands I've, I've seen him behind the kit for. Um, yeah. it's, it seems like your, I guess, group of musician friends seem to have been like a really, um, like a bit of a driving force in the scene where you guys would come together, do something, go do your own things and have all found success with and outside of each other, which I think is, is really, really cool. Yeah. I think that's a testament to all of those people. So if we go through them, like Jack was the most, even back then, even when we weren't playing very good music or very good shows, it was the most professional guy and he, he worked really hard on everything he had to do. And that's standing up now what years down the track because the, the next band he joined after frontline was void division so that's still going and it's and it's to see it grow is amazing mvd was actually managing thornhill before set the score parked it so he was already kind of and then obviously he was in better half too um with adam and they were killing it in that um adam's probably the best drummer i've ever met um, he's just, he'd been playing since he was like something ridiculously young, like I want to say six or five, but you know, like he's just an absolute pocket drummer. And I guess, yeah, I just think that, um, if I look back on those people, they, they, yeah, I'm very lucky that they, that, that I call them my friends, but I guess also, um, when you play music enough, you, you tend to surround yourself with musicians and you meet some pretty talented people. And, um, yeah, I, I guess, um, yeah, I'm very, I'm very lucky for them to be my friends, but I'm not surprised at, at, at all of their successes. Mm. And that's, you know, not just those three people, but but many people we've met along the way too. Absolutely, man. Well, um, let's uh, go to set the score for a minute because I know yep. you guys released a bunch of great music, uh, a few killer EPs, the, the Homebound single, <laughs> uh, Lost Cause, the, the final song you guys ever did. Um, and you guys were kind of making moves when you were all still quite young. Like I, I was just going through the set the score timeline and you guys were just playing countless shows around Melbourne and you would go from playing, you know, your local shows to supporting like Trash Boat, Moose Blood, Mayday Parade and stuff like that. Um, tell us about when you started to notice like a bit of a momentum in set the score and, and how that felt to kind of juggle the international support acts and your, your local gigs? Um, oh, look, probably the first time it felt like it was going somewhere was when we released But Still So Far From Home. So um, for like literal luck coincidence timing-wise, we released it through Jared Alonge, who was that every pop punk vocalist YouTube <laughs> comedian guy. And he was just like, oh, I just want to release a few few videos. And we put it up and it got some really good response. And um, we shot it with our mate, Ken, and he did it. I think he did it for $50. He'd never shot a music video <laughs> before. And we just did. I think we just went into John's garage and just put some lights up. And then all of a sudden, this thing's got like 50,000 views. 
wow. on YouTube. And we're just kind of like, all right. Um, as far as shows go, I think um, when Trophy Eyes released Everything Goes Away, we hopped on a few, when they came through Melbourne, we hopped on a few of those shows. Um, and I guess when we played that song, but still so far from home, but when we also played, um, we played a story so far cover, people seem to like actually enjoy us playing music. Like <laughs> the first time you see people move around for you. Mm. And I just remember thinking like, this is crazy. Like people know the songs and like one of them was a cover, but like people know the songs and they enjoy it. And it, it was just nuts. Um, I guess kind of our mindset back then was just play anything and play everything. And, you know, we were playing two gigs in one day. Um, you know, we would, um, go from opening one gig in Footscray at, at, at Wrangler and then drive out to Diamond Creek and play a freezer show. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I guess you never think about how, um, like all the bands you're going to end up playing with. And we were very lucky that. I think at the time there wasn't a lot of pop punk bands going around. I think metalcore was a lot more popular. So whenever a pop punk band came through, if they needed a local opener, it was it was down to a few of a few of us. Mm. Um, and set the score was lucky to get a few of those gigs. And yeah, I, I guess it, when you reflect on it, some big gigs there. And 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 especially like Mayday Parade was John's favorite band of all time. And <laughs> Um, we ended up playing with the Wonder Years, who are like one of my favorite bands of all time, Real Friends, which was very popular in the band too. And like, we all just ended up playing with like, like we even played with Worthwhile. It was um, MVD and I were really big on Worthwhile, like, like years back. So I don't know, I guess um, we were very privileged to just play with all these bands that we looked up to. Um, it was kind of a surreal experience, but um, yeah, we, we would always go, we would always play the local shows too. So we just didn't say no to anything really yeah that's great man and um i know following the history of set the score you guys had a few changes in vocalists um i know you had a ton of old music with michael romeo and then went to david bell uh for the yeah. remainder of set the scores career um mm. is it challenging replacing a vocalist and how did david come on board dude it's the hardest thing in the world it is the hardest thing in the world um <laughs> We actually did it three. We had three vocalists for set the score. So our first, our first ever three track, um, the vocalist basically said to us, "Hey, this isn't for me." He's like a DJ now, a really successful DJ, and he's doing great. He's kicking goals. I think at that point in time, he's like, "Man, playing a you know pop punk bands is not my thing." So he recorded the demo with us, and then he left pretty soon after. Um, I knew Michael from school and another band um, that I'm friends with that was at the time called uh transit gloria um so he hopped on and then i think his heart was with with transit gloria so he left dave just kind of hopped into our dms we didn't find dave dave found us and um he's from shepparton and um i remember we said we were going to have a practice with him like the first time we we're going to practice with him and he caught the train down from shepparton and he messaged me at like two o'clock in the afternoon and he was like hey man i'm in melbourne and i was like oh okay well, practice not till seven o'clock and i was like okay yeah he's like yeah cool i'll just hang around and i was like all right that's fine um so when i went and picked him up at like seven o'clock outside ringwood train station in the rain um he like hopped in the car and he's like hey i'm dave 
I was like, dude, what did you do for the whole day? Like when we we're all working and he's like, Oh yeah, I just went and caught some beers and I ended up having beers with like Illy, like the rapper. And that was just Dave. <laughs> Dave was just a weird guy. And he would just always find like, like it would just, he always had some weird story. Um, and yeah, but he was still like a country guy um, from, from Shepparton. Like we'd drive, we'd hop in his car. We took his car for our first tour. And we hop in the back of the car and there's just like a shotgun in the back. He's like, oh yeah, I was just hunting. And we're like, so we just brought this shotgun on tour and it was just, he's, he's, um, <laughs> yeah. And I think when, um, when set the score finished, he just wanted to go back to fishing and stuff like that. So, um, he found us, I'm not exactly sure how, but he just hopped into our DMs. He said, oh, here's a story so far cover. I did. It sounded pretty good. He came to Prague. He sounded good. He was nothing like any of us. He was such a different character, but um, yeah. And then, yeah, he 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 uh, he was our singer, and what a singer he was, and what a character he was. He just, yeah, I miss that guy, Dave. If you're listening, come say good day. Uh, it's cool, man. I I think that's when, I w- I would say when Dave came on board, that's when you guys really hit your stride and started to get a lot of the the um the big opportunities but um uh i think it was a you played a lot of shows probably accomplished a lot but then it also seemed to wind down um I, I noticed at the time you guys were a bit less active um tell us about that period of set the score and and what it was like winding it up um oh man i think we, if, if we're all if we're all honest with ourselves we probably saw it happening a year out um yeah, I guess when we we just struggled to take that next step, I think. And when you're in a band and you become a bit of a local legend or whatever, like I'm not saying like we were legends. I'm saying like when you're the local band, I think we just kind of had that label. We were the local band and we were the band that um, I guess when we tried to make that push, like we were always the opening band. We were never on the on the bill. We were never touring. Mm. Um unless it was a really small tour. So I guess um, the frustration kind of grew with that. Uh, Matt was doing some really cool stuff with Better Half. And then um, he was obviously managing Thornhill. And then I think when Thornhill spot opened up for MVD, he was like, I got to take this. And then I think John was like, really wanted to get into his photography stuff, which he's still doing now. Um, And then I guess once the pieces started to fall. It was kind of like, and then we were being really picky with our shows as well Mm. for the first time ever. So we were turning down a lot of shows, which I think is definitely the right thing for bands to be doing now. You got to pick the right shows to play. Um, Mm. But that was a bit of a a change in mantra for us. So um, yeah, I mean, I think we got everything out of that band that we could have. I'm very proud of what we achieved, but um, yeah, it kind of slowly winded down. And then I think once the decision was made, um yeah i think everybody in the band moved on and did something better with whatever they were doing yeah i you guys did come out with some music before you did officially wind things up but um did you guys have a ton of stuff written for a full length like what, what, what was the plan before things started to slow down um so before matt so matt actually left the band before we decided to cark it um we had we had plans to make an album and then it was kind of like 
we were trying to shop it around and then we were like, oh, do we want to independently release it? We definitely had enough music left over. Um, we were in the process of pre-proing some stuff. If I had to make a guess, we probably had like six to ten songs maybe. Mm. Um, uh, but, yeah, and then I guess I guess once we decided to, to uh, end it, we just found um, the, the song that we... <laughs> were most finished i want to say that we like picked the best song to finish on but we were like that one's almost finished we'll just release that as an announcement and we always wanted to do like we brought a gopro everywhere we went so um we always wanted to do like a little farewell video and we just put that song to it um and then that was it um and then we played the last show and headed off into the sunset um yeah yeah i'm still trying to talk mbd into doing like a like an AM PM one-off return. Oh, please. It. It, it'll He's be the awesome. only one. He's the only one holding out. <laughs> oh, that would be fun, man. Well, yeah, um, at the end of set the score, it, it, where was your head at in regards to music? Cause I'm sure that was, would have been such a big chapter of your life that you're, you're suddenly just closing and there, there would have been like a lot of uncertainty with what you wanted to do. Um, how were you feeling at that point about continuing on music? Um, it's a good question you asked because if I'm if I'm really honest, I went through like a really big depression phase there because um, I guess the dynamic of when we left was Dave was really keen to to not play music professionally anymore. John was really keen to not play music, not that we were playing professionally, but not put you know all the time and effort into it that we were. Adam hopped into Harbors straight away and he went on tour probably like two weeks after we played our last show. Obviously, Matt's in Thornhill and Thornhill are kicking all these goals. Um, and then there was me. I thought um, I was the dead weight in the end because, um, yeah, I, I was looking for a band for a little bit. I was even thinking about moving into state to join some bands. I just didn't know. And then there was also like another period of time where I was like, I'm just going to sell all my gear and just not play music anymore because it's too hard. Um, and it was hard for me because I think um, I, I was holding on pretty hard to set the score. And when you put so much of your identity into one thing and it gets taken away from you, it's heartbreaking. It's shocking. Um, so the one thing I tell a lot of people now um, is just if you're in a band or if you're trying to push your band to be this big thing, you need to have something else to have your identity attached to or else when it goes and when things are and 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 that's the same thing speaking to a lot of people through this COVID period when they realized that they couldn't play music for basically a whole year they were like well what do I have you know so um yeah I struggled a lot um through that period I don't think I played a gig for almost a calendar year which was the longest gap pre-COVID um the longest gap since i started playing music at all Mm. so yeah it was difficult it was totally difficult um but i think i had to have it and i think um i think lots of people i think with covid would say that they went through something similar um who play in bands and playing you know who regularly play shows because it just gets taken away from you and you've got to kind of figure out you know what else you've got outside of this thing that you you're putting so much attention and effort into Mm. Mm. absolutely 
Uh, well, before we move on to the next chapter, um, just talking about like the old scene and all the all ages shows, um, who are a couple of bands that you look back on and just think like they could be just like locals and stuff, but like who were like bands that really stood out to you and think like, oh, that was like a golden age. We had this band, we had this band. Yeah, at the lo- at the scene at the local scene level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I was a big Sierra fan um, Oof, from Mount Gambia. Yeah. So I think I went to every one of their shows and we were lucky enough and I still don't know why, but we opened up their last show ever. <laughs> uh, but I think they did a tour with Tom the Sky like a few years back, but, but when they broke up their last show, we opened it um for some reason we were the only pop punk band on, on the bill everyone else was heavy i think storm the sky even headlined but um so that was a pleasure um there was an old band called thesis from sydney i loved that band um and their drummer is in trophy eyes now uh-huh. i'm just trying to think i i mean eat your heart out is still going around i absolutely loved playing with them um and seeing them all the time mm. um Oh, just trying to think locally. I mean, Transit Gloria as well. Um, they you won't find any of their music on Spotify. It's only on Bandcamp. That that's you know the era that it was. Mm. They released an EP that was just killer. Um, yeah, I I remember uh, catching them. I think you guys play played a um, the Pat Cronin benefit show um, yep. down in Jesus like Nunna Wadding or something. But I remember going to that show because um, I I wanted to see you guys and stuck out and i remember transit gloria coming on and just seeing michael up on stage and him starting to sing and i was like jesus christ the pipes on this guy like he just oh, blew me away and that 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 show as well like the lineup was amazing like it was a couple of locals i, I cut there's one other band that played and i believe that jack was on guitar for it. it's uh i can't remember their name hollows hollows that's the one yeah that's that was... another one that's another band i want to mention <laughs> um so they were they were good friends of mine in school and um mm. they were they have another ep if you want to listen to it's called birds of passage it's on Bandcamp, and that thing still rocks mm. so hard um yeah so that that show was just all friends remarkably yeah. enough um that was i didn't have to reach out to anyone i didn't already know for that gig so um yeah, that was a great time, but yeah, there's 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 like an absolute litter of talented musicians who were in fantastic bands, and for one reason or another, they don't play much music anymore. Maybe it's because they chose they didn't want to pursue it. I'm pretty sure Sierra did that. Um, mm-hmm. They just said it wasn't for them, um, or you know some other reasons or whatnot. Um, yeah, so I mean, there was a hell of a lot of potential, and when you when there was so many play, so many um, sorry gigs that people were playing, you got exposed to so many more bands live, um, and how they go now, then how they go now, you kind of you kind of hear them online first, and then you you go and see them to like solidify whether you think they're good or not. Yeah, Whereas it was the other way around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, let's move on to the next chapter for you. Uh, Waybridge, a um, band that you formed with members of Fear of Flying Objects, who are huge for me. I remember um, playing shows with them in my own band and just going to see everything they ever did because they're just such talented musos. But, um, yeah, yeah you, you started Waybridge with 
uh, Sean and Jake from Fear of Flying Objects. Um, how did yeah. that start? Um, I think when I posted about Set the Score Breaking Up and the last show, I think Sean hopped into my um, messages just saying, hey, man, I've got some demos if you wanted us to, to join this band I've got. And at that point, Jake wasn't in. It was just Sean and a couple of other guys. Um, and I listened to the first demo was Use, and I was like, yeah, I could do this. This sounds cool. Um, and I think when I started it, I was just kind of like, you know, this is, I just want to get back to playing music for fun. I don't want to, I don't really care about the whole business thing as much anymore. Um, and I think we had a year of practicing and like, we had like five or like four or five lineup changes before we even like made our Facebook page. Um, Jake wasn't the first drummer. Um, we had another guitarist. So yeah, I think, um, and I think Sean went through some lineup changes before I even came on board anyway. So, um, yeah, Waybridge was, um, a surprise, but, uh, yeah, like once again, sometimes when you're not looking for something, that's when it comes out. Yeah. Well, um, Waybridge seemed to take off quite quickly and how much of like your networking and connections from set the score, like helped with like building a good base for you guys to, to, you know, get rolling early. Oh, it, it did us wonders really. Um, so our first gig was with Void of Vision. Jack and I are great mates and he just kind of messaged me and said, it, it was so, it was literally through Facebook Messenger. He's like, Hey, Waybridge, do you want your first show to be with Void? And I was like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, and he still does that. Um, so like we've got another mate, Kean, um, and his band Commoner, uh, were supposed to play their first show with Void as well. Um, mm. when but they got COVID, so that didn't happen. But <laughs> like I think that's Jack still kind of has that all ages mindset as well. And I think that was the that was the best thing is a lot of my friends from that all ages mindset were kind of helping us out. So um, I think our first show first show was with Void of Vision. The next one was with Tapestry, who are good mates with um stuck out as well who um very good friends with as well from the set score days um so look we were very very fortunate to have the backing that we did and and to get onto good shows before like we had one song out straight Mm up um and we might have even played the first show without a song out i can't remember but um yeah so uh who else would play play better half um i can't even remember i'd have to go through it all but um yeah, like just amazing, and the fact that people still kept asking us onto the gigs was um, was cool because um, we were still finding our feet as a band. But um, you know, everyone, everyone bar I think Ethan, though Ethan had played in some bands. I think everyone bar Ethan had had been in a band that played you know a, a reasonable amount of gigs before. So um, that kind of helped us out as well. Yeah, well, um, you guys played a couple of gigs. Uh, you had uh, Use was the first single, I believe. Is that the? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you came out with Limbic Resonance. Um, yes, we did. The EP. And um, so you guys were a new band. Um, how collaborative was the process? Like, was it more like Sean had songs and then he'd bring them in or was it was it more of like a conscious coming together to write the music? Um. Look, to be honest with you, it was really strange because some of the songs were like 
three years old before I even got in. And then the other, and then there was another, like, um, something bleak was like, uh, there was just the intro riff and that was it. So some of the songs were like old, old songs that were brought in and barely touched, which was mainly Sean and Jake's stuff. And then the couple of the other stuff was just written like pretty much almost last minute or like a month or two months before we went in and recorded it. So um, it was weird. It was weird to have that kind of dynamic of that's been finished or that's just come out of nowhere for me because I had nothing to do with it. Um you know, because it's so old. And then others that were like, oh, shit, we have to write a song. We have to really write a song here and, like, locking ourselves in our crack room for, like, a few hours just trying to nut out a a song. I think that's why some of the EP sounds so different as well. Like, there's a pop punk song on there. There's a big emo banger. There's, like, a grubby metalcore song. And then there's, like, some alternative grungy stuff too. So, which is kind of cool. I'm glad the way, like, the way it came out, I wouldn't change it, but I just guess that's the explanation why it sounds so weird and different. Yeah. To the songs compared to each other, I guess. Mm. And who was it recorded with? Declan White. Oh, great. So um, he did Deadlights. I'm trying to think. He used to do Void back before they were signed. Um, like he did all the like back in the day of like, you know, Brooklyn glorified. I think he's done a Bellhaven EP way way back in the day too. So, yeah, that was really cool to work with him um, because a lot of the bands I used to go and watch <laughs> at like all ages gigs were all recorded by Declan. Yeah, or Chris Vernon. It's, uh, it Chris seems Vernon, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, two very big names uh, yeah. in the scene there for recording music. Um, so the EP comes out and you guys, it felt like you guys really started to pick up steam. But um, I think looking back through your timeline, it seemed like the, the absolute apex was the whole single launch where I missed it, unfortunately. I was really wanted to go and I, I couldn't, I had, I had something on where I couldn't come, but like I just heard endless buzz about that show and, and everyone was saying like, you know, the band was just, you know, the next big thing, basically. Um, was it expected for you? Like, I think... Yeah, it wasn't expected. I guess we also were really lucky to get onto Unify before COVID hit as well. Mm-hmm. So that kind of felt like the peak at the time um, because, you know, we, we, we had no plan. We had no, we had no idea we were going to play Unify within a year of being a band. Um, I think our first gig was like January 2019 and then January 2020, we're playing Unify. So that was crazy. That was like, a nuts experience especially because you know i'd been to unifiers before and seen uh you know like better half and thornhill play and all and void and all my friends play and i guess at that point in time i didn't think i was going to really get there um and i was like you know you just have to be i'm just happy seeing like my friends play and then you end up playing the next year so i guess and then and then when lockdown happened i guess we kind of we're kicking ourselves because we thought that all of this momentum that we'd had from, from this festival, our first festival experience would just disappear because I guess we didn't play another gig till I don't even know when the, maybe August um, mm. was when the headliner was. So um, I was reluctant to book a headliner at all. Cause I didn't think that we would get anyone in the, in the room, but Matt, our manager was like, nah, we're going to do it. 
um, there'll be reduced capacity. So we should be able to sell it out. And I was like, okay. And then the timeline kind of went, whereas like the capacity kept getting like lifted because of the COVID restrictions. So it's like, oh, you sold 150 tickets, but now we've bumped it up to 175. So I'm like, oh man, oh, you sold 175 tickets. We're going to bump it up to 190. Uh, right, sweet. All right, you sold 200 tickets. We're allowed to put it up to 225. And I was just like, man, we're just not going to sell this thing out. And then it got to the night and Matt came up to me probably like in the second band. He's like, yo, we've, we've, we're done. We've sold it out. And I was just amazed. There was like people I'd never, I'd never met before. I think that was the first time that I played a show that I was like, that was like we were headlining and there was no, there was people there that I had no idea who they were. And I was like, why are you here? You can't be here to see us. That's crazy. Um, and then I guess we all just said, you know, we're going to do it. And we just gave it our best crack. And I actually went away to um, Gold Coast like two days later, just for a holiday. And I was getting tattooed by Brock from Stepson up there. And I'm getting tattooed by him. And he's just like, so I heard your show like in Melbourne was pretty dope the other day. And I was like, far out. So like, I don't know. Yeah, that was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, straight up, like walking off stage, like Jake and I just gave each other a big hug and had a little cry because it was just, it was surreal. It was an un unreal experience and yeah that was definitely I would say that's my personal peak of playing music like I reckon I was at my best but also like that was the best experience um but definitely the band's peak 100% and but if you had to ask me that like what's the band's peak like two seconds after walking off stage to unify I was like no nah, nothing will top that yeah but I mean life happens man yeah um tell us about the unify experience because I'm sure it's unique in the sense that you're in the middle of nowhere. You've probably got to rock up with your gear. Um, like you got to load in. I'm sure it's like you're in the separated area from the rest of the festival. Um, tell us about that experience and how it felt to be playing like probably the best festival in Australia, really. Yeah, well, I guess it's kind of a dream come true because I guess when you grow up, people our age, you just wanted to play Soundwave. Mm. And unify is the closest thing i mean good things is probably a bit closer in like it's at the same venue and the same size but unify was like for me that's the closest thing to Soundwave. so it was a bit weird for us because we hopped on the lineup because caged is caged existence pulled out so we actually had a band practice that night and we were working with coach steve canatelli um and we're halfway through our sessions and i get a call from Matt, our manager he's like we got unify and no one, no, no one was there yet. I was the only one there. And I guess like, yeah, just word got around and we, we were so stoked and we played probably the best set we ever played like that crack. Um, and then Steve really helped us out because at that point in time, we were lucky enough, we booked like a bunch of sessions with him. He's like, so from right now we're preparing to play Unify. So I guess getting in there, like I know personally, I go and camp in GA, like that's where the party's at. Um, I don't want to like <laughs> talk down on anyone who camps in artist camping, but it seemed a bit tame and mm. I kind of liked the party. So, <laughs> um, and also it's really close to the stage too. Like literally just behind, like if you're watching the stage to the left and just behind a couple of tents is the camping, the artist camping. So like if you wanted to go to bed before the band's finished, you'd just be getting bass drum through the ground, like into your head. 
So like, I just didn't. And you know, I went I went to bed a little bit early before our set because the day before our set because I was a little bit nervous and I wanted to have a good night's sleep. So I left. I went to sleep before Architects had finished. But um, yeah, it was. It was crazy. It was crazy. Typical Weybridge fashion, like everything seemed like it was going wrong. Sean's um, Kemper was like on the fritz. Ethan was coming from a cold chisel concert and we hadn't heard from him in two days till he rocked up like half an hour before the set. Um, God. And then there was also all the, the time changes because of the weather. So like, you know, I was just like happy to be on stage, but no, it was, it was unreal. It was just an unreal experience. And I think the best feeling was hopping off stage, knowing that you did a good job and then cracking a couple of beers. And I think it was like three bands and then knock, knock loose were playing. So I was like, this is pretty dope. I could get used to this. Um, and yeah. And, and once again, yeah, heaps of friends playing it, like Void played it. Um, Eat your heart out. We set the score to their first two with them. They played it. Um, Adam was playing in the beautiful monument. Um, I'm probably missing a few terror. Terra, we go back with Terra, so they were playing it too. Um, yeah, it was just like a friends fest, and it just kind of felt like um, it kind of felt like we all made it, you know. Like I remember playing some shows with Terra, like in a, you know, Terra would open shows in a in a bar somewhere in Brunswick to nobody with us, and then you know you watch them play and watching Adam play for the beautiful monument, and you go like, oh yeah, I think we kind of we kind of did all right for ourselves here, didn't we? So unreal still unreal yeah well um you you mentioned the artist section where the bands were camping out did, did you have any like funny stories or like interactions with some of like the internationals coming through or yeah they kind of keep well, to themselves or <laughs> yes well the, i've got a few actually so when we walked in you know you get there we got there early we got there on the thursday probably before gates open i've got my, my pass and everything and the first time I flash my pass to the security guard, I go backstage and I'm like, oh, I'm backstage at a festival. I'm an artist. This is so cool. And then, like, architects are just, like, hanging out on a rug, like, playing with their kids, which I've got no <laughs> problem with. It's just not what I was expecting. Yeah. I was like, man, this is going to be the best place to party and everything. And they're just, like, playing with their kids on a rug, like, rattle toys and everything. Um, I got to... Um, my my tattoo artist Josh Tadaro knows the ghost inside, so he like came up and said g'day, and he was having dinner with them. It's like, oh, you want to come have dinner with us? And like, I have a ghost inside tattoo, so I was like, yes. Um, I kind of like sat awkwardly to the side and like didn't really talk. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, man, like heaps of cool stuff. We saw um just before our set, we saw Aaron Gox. You know Aaron Gox, the comedian. Yeah, yeah. Goxy. For some reason, for some reason, we're warming up in the green room and um, and Jack comes in, knocks on the door. He's like, Godwin, I need to talk to you. And I was like, mate, I'm, I'm warming up. Go away. He's like, no, Aaron Gox is outside. And I just threw my bass down. And I was like, <laughs> what? And I came out. I was like, Goxy, come in here. And we all got a photo with him. And it was just like strange. And I was like, why is Goxy here? That's like the best surprise ever. Um yeah, no funny stories, I don't think. The internationals kind of come in and out, like, just as they play. Um, you know, like, they'll hang around for a little bit before they play and then they'll they'll leave because they've all got really cool accommodation, like, nice houses. And I was just, like, a dirty dirty piece of shit, like, sleeping in the dirt for <laughs> four days straight. So they probably didn't want to talk to me, but um, it was just cool being around it all, you know. Yeah. 
yeah, it would have been a lot of fun, I'm sure. Mm. All right. Well, um, after Unify, after the whole single launch, uh, it seemed like things were, were huge. And then we have the unexpected, I guess, period where Sean has to go. And yeah, um, things kind of came to a screeching halt. Um, how, how did that feel? Because I'm sure you would have been heartbroken having achieved so much in sh- such a short amount of time. And like when you say set the score um, was gone and it, it all kind of felt like drawn out, but at the same time abrupt, this was literally just the rug was pulled out from under you. Um, yeah. How did, how did you feel, I guess, about continuing on the band and, and just moving forward? Uh, look, originally I thought that was probably doors. Um, I think talking to the other guys, talking to Ethan and Jake, I think that was probably doors for us. Uh, I didn't, um, we were, we were halfway through our first tour, um, with Diamond Constructs, uh, which we had to pull out of and yeah, like it was really, it was a really tough time. You never expect to have to do something like that. Um, so yeah, it was a tough couple of days for sure. I think the fact that COVID kind of stopped that tour anyway helped. Yeah. And I think the fact that COVID kind of stopped the music industry pretty shortly after that anyway helped mm. us a bit too. Um, I know because I went through that experience with Set the Score and that kind of like grief and loss of identity that I actually probably dealt with it pretty all right. Um, yeah. I just like played a little bit more music at home with my partner and just started writing stuff for myself. I know that some of the other guys in the band probably took it a lot harder, um, Jake especially, but um, we took our time to figure out what we want to do. Um, And finding a vocalist isn't easy. I feel like Mm -hmm. I've been doing it for 10 years. We did it three times and set a score (laughs) and I'm doing it again. And I'm just like, ah, again, they're the hardest thing to replace, like, but also the most exciting because you can rebrand, but also just the hardest thing to replace. Um, so, yeah, no, it was tough for sure. But uh, sometimes just be the way it is. Like we, we, we deal with it. Um, the opportunities that have opened up since then for both Waybridge and the three remaining members members of Waybridge individually have been really exciting. So like it sounds real cliche, but one door opens and a few others, sorry, one door closed and many others open. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited with what's to happen next. So yeah. That's really cool, man. So it's, something's definitely in the works you, you you got something moving and we could hear more waybridge music in the future yeah we're working very hard uh on new music i would say as far as demos go we probably have more than we've ever had before mm-hmm. we didn't have that many demos going into limbic resonance and even when we recorded whole i don't think we had too many options that we all really liked I think now we probably have heaps and we are looking like I'm more confident than ever that we're going to come back pretty strong with something that I'm really proud of. So that's, uh, that's in the works and that's going to be great. I reckon. Um, I know that 
all three of us also have other projects as well that we're working on that that will be released as at some point in time as well mm. so um i think also it was cool that because of this we had to like we shut off from waybridge for a little bit and started working on other things and those other things are going to coexist with waybridge um so yeah like opportunities man like it, i'm 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 really excited with whatever happens i'm really excited with what comes out that's great man so you've got a new lineup solidified and you're just working on things behind the scenes or i wish i could tell you <laughs> we're working on things behind the scenes for sure yeah um there's probably some water going under the bridge with all the other stuff um but we're working on lots of stuff and I'm very confident that we will have some music released in the calendar year of 2022, hopefully sooner rather than later. But, um, you know, things happen and who knows, another lockdown, like <laughs> that pushes good. it back yeah. like six months, bros. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great to hear that um, such an uncertain time and I guess dark period for the band and yourself is, is turned into something positive and, you're feeling positive about the future because I'm sure um, you like you yourself have had to fight for a lot of opportunities and it's like you see the battle is out there and you just want to see it work out for them. So I'm excited to, to see what happens with Waybridge. I'm excited to hear more music um, and yeah, it should, it should be good. Thanks mate. I think, um, I think every, every musician's a battler in the end anyway, yep. because um being in a band is one of the more difficult things you can do, I reckon. And being in a band that, that, that is successful and can play regular gigs at whatever level, I think that's an absolute achievement. Um, I think a lot of the time in my past as well, um, you're not happy until you, you know, reach goal A, B, C or D. But when you think about it, getting four to five people who are all good enough at playing their instruments, who all want to play the same amount of music, who all can write music, who all can play it live and want to put the money in to make it to playing gigs, is that's an achievement in itself. So, um, yeah, I think there is a lot of battlers out there and I think everyone, especially through the last few years, have been doing a fantastic job. Great. Well. Um... I just got one question before we wrap things up. Yep. Um, this is something I kind of ask a few of our guests, but you, you've made a lot of friends. Um, we, we've talked about who you played with and what they've gone on to do. Um, just say you had the opportunity to go back in time and you've got all your old musician friends like there. You can go back in time to when everyone's like 15, 16, looking to start out, you know, on the journey that, you know, everybody's been on what would what would you say to to all all the people in your life musician wise like as in like advice or if you would like to just part some wisdom to to your younger selves oh man um that's difficult i think um i think one thing that me and my friends do other people i'm really close with do really well is we always acknowledge the full circle moments. So I think, I think I would just say, remember where you came from. Like when I started playing music, when I was in like year eight, I was happy practicing covers once a fortnight at my mate's garage 
every second Sunday. That was it. And I was totally stoked doing that. And um, I think when you're a young musician, you are just, you get that feeling of when you play a song and you know you play it good and that's just, that's all you need. And then when all this other stuff comes up, you start chasing, you start chasing, you start chasing. But I think it's, it's, it's important to remember just like, I started playing this because I like the feeling of playing music with other people. Mm. Um, I think I'll, I'll, something that I, I, I try really hard to do with my friends is really acknowledge like the full circle moments. Like I remember when we did this, that's, that's how happy we were now. Look at what we're doing now. Like I think just being really like looking back at the right times um, would be really important, especially as you travel through the music industry. Mm. Mm. That's a great answer, man. Well, um, we'll leave it there, but um, thanks a lot uh, for chatting to us and, and going in on a bit of a deep dive on, on all your, your bands really, because um, you've been like a massive contributor to the scene. Like you've done a lot of music that I enjoy and um, it's great to see that you're, you're still doing things and kicking goals and um, the future's looking bright. Thanks for having me on, man. Thank you for all the kind words. I feel a little bit, a um, little bit, a little bit embarrassed, but <laughs> thank you for the kind words. And um, honestly, yeah, it's been an honour to come on. So thank you. Oh,